Ladies rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. I feel like because this is such a jam-packed episode, I should just skip into housekeeping and go right to the episode tease. Rachel, there's so much royal news breaking before the coronation. What are we talking about? I know, I know. Up to the minute. So many headlines. Well, this week we are thrilled to welcome Tom Jennings back to the show. He is the award-winning documentary filmmaker behind Diana in her own words. He has a new documentary out called Charles in his own words. That comes out this Friday. That interview is coming up. Also, these explosive trial updates, Roberta, from Prince Harry, Kate and William's 12-year wedding anniversary, William getting up at dawn to uh, honor Anzac Day, new birthday portraits, and the Lakers. We just have so, so much. I thought, I didn't think it would be a quiet week. I thought it would be all coronation-centric, though. It's such a grab bag. It's such a grab bag. Well, we need to catch up first. How was your weekend? How are you doing? We have nine days till the coronation. I think we that's leave what's in a week. consuming a everything, week. right? It's just mainly what are we wearing? <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's been my main focus. Can we have a FaceTime run through together where we're just like we could play like fashion, turn to the left? Is that that clue? Fashion song? show, fashion show, yeah. fashion show at work. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly from the office. Um, Best well, episode. To get through all of this royal news, we need to sip on something. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. And this is delicious. I mixed it up. It's called the Coronation Cocktail from Simone Bailey, who's our expert mixologist. You've heard before on the show that we tapped her to create some royal-themed cocktails. This one's the Coronation-themed one. And it contains Patron Sherry Cask, which I think you could do any gold tequila for this one, Sweet Vermouth Luxardo Maraschino Liqueur, three dashes of orange bitters served in a coupe glass with an orange twist So I'm going to sip mine really quick. Cheers. Is it a coupe or coupe? I've always wondered about that. I think it's a coupe. I don't know. But is that the car? Maybe any of our, is it French? Any of our French listeners should should educate us because I don't know. My orange twist. It looks so fancy, Roberta. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Listener email. Yes. Hannah wrote to us to say, thank you for making my royal obsession feel normal. I'm a somewhat recent listener within the past year or so, and I truly look forward to your podcast each week. Oh, thank you, Hannah. She also wrote us to say, my question thought for you is, I'm a bit confused on why Prince Philip was never made king consort. Do you ladies know the royal history behind this? I know from the crown, of course, it was a big deal when he knelt for the queen during her coronation. But with Camilla becoming queen consort and it being a huge deal, it made me wonder why Philip was never given that honor. That's a great question, Hannah. And we looked it up per the evening standard. It's down to a long-standing royal rule since Queen Victoria's time that states that a man who marries a reigning queen will be known as Prince Consort. So Prince Albert was Prince Consort due to Queen Victoria making that rule. The title king, because it just ranks higher than queen, is reserved for the reigning monarch who inherited the throne, like King Charles III. So it's kind of just a, a rule that is a little bit outdated because it only applies to men versus women. But it makes sense in my mind because I think a king could outrank and they, you know, you could have this royal rebellion where the king overthrows the queen. I don't know, in the <laughs> worst case scenario. They give chess boards all of a sudden. Why? I know. I, know. I was like, they have they never played chess? The queen is definitely the power maker in that one. But it's a great question. Yeah. Great question. And now, this week in royal history. 
this is a big one and I feel like it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle of all the coronation festivities, but happy 12 year wedding anniversary to William and Kate. We know that they got hitched on April 29th, 2011. I think of Westminster Abbey. I think of that Alexander McQueen dress, William in red, Pippa who stole the show. <laughs> Any other memories, Roberta, that you think oh, of gosh, immediately? Oh gosh, the little girl on the balcony. Yes. <laughs> Grace Van Cutsum, was that her name? Yeah, and just all we know about, you know, Harry being uh, dressed in his uniform as well, looking so dapper. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, this is so close to their anniversary to when the coronation takes place. And it's at the same place, Westminster Abbey. So that will feel pretty poignant to them, I'm sure. I know. You know what? Also, not to take us on a tangent, but Charlotte's birthday is coming up, too, on May 2nd. It's crazy. The day we leave for London. We're going to be in a royal whirlwind. I know. Yes. All there for everything. But just looking at Kate and William, back to that, the state of their royal union, how far they've come, Roberta, since 2011. They have three children, a new life in Windsor. They're now the prince and princess of Wales. I feel like even when I was watching the footage, I called it up on YouTube in preparation for thinking about this. Just, they look so young. I mean, 12 years isn't a long time, but it really is... For everyone, not just in the royal world, but for them, you really see it. How do you think they're celebrating this year, Roberta? Well, I love this tidbit that uh, Kate revealed in Birmingham to a presenter on TV, Allison Hammond. She said that they were talking about food and cocktails, and she said she likes a spicy cocktail, not sweet, which... It's like, whoa, okay, mind blown. Mind I blown. Because wasn't it her favorite drink, the crack baby, for a long time? Is what the rumor was. Of course, that's like, you know, one of those royal rumors that just gets spread. But so uh, maybe spicy marks. Maybe they're celebrating with some spicy marks. What is 12? Do we know the anniversary gift? For oh, 12? no, that's a great thing I should have Googled. Can I Google that quickly? Yes. Anniversary gift for 12 years is dun da 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 silk and linen gifts. And the Ooh. modern theme, oh, that's the traditional. The modern theme is pearls. That <gasps> feels so appropriate. Is she going to wear pearls at the coronation? And I will mean, they be an anniversary gift? <laughs> this is all so. highly speculative section of history. Highly speculative. <laughs> I will say we do have additional intel on their wedding day, thanks to Spare. Of course, this is Harry's perspective, but we know about his frozen todger. That was something that now jumped. <laughs> You know, I'm so glad back, you brought this up. <laughs> right? I mean, when you look back now, you're, you know, it's you think of these moments now that Harry wasn't the best man, even though the press said that he was. But the reason for that, and William talked it through with Harry, was to protect William's actual best men from the press. Although it is sad that Harry was also not his best man, but they weren't sure if he would have said inappropriate things given the mic. And Harry sort of agreed with that, according to Despair. Also that William was pissed that he had to wear his household cavalry uniform. And had to shave. So we know, yes. we know those details for sure. And they don't yes. really have a lot of um, independence in those choices, it seems, which is is kind of interesting to know now after Spare. I know, I, but happy, oh, I did wanna, happy Annie. Oh, go ahead. Yes, happy Annie. And I did want to mention that Kate also revealed to this TV presenter that she was uh, – the presenter, Allison, was asking, oh, do you know what color you'll wear for the coronation? You know, you look so good in blue. And Kate said her outfit might have a hint of blue. So – Big reveal there. Exciting. (laughs) We'll know next week. Kate's a real big picture for you, doesn't it? A hint of blue. Really specific. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) Yes. All right. Moving on to our royal news this week. So the first thing up is this Megan Lettergate part two. We know that Lettergate. We have a lot of gates in this episode, right? Penny. We're going to be getting into with Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Phone hacking gate. Uh, 
Lettergate Part 1 was obviously the letter to her dad that was printed in the Daily Mail. This one is the Telegraph, and of course they know now not to print that letter, but they do have sources commenting on the contents of that letter. And the whole story is basically that after the Oprah interview, the then Prince of Wales, now King Charles, wrote Meghan and Harry in March of 2021, post-Oprah interview. The Duchess of Sussex wrote back, Megan wrote back, and both letters make clear the identity of the, quote, royal racist, which, of course, is that person who commented on the color of then-unborn Archie's skin tone in conversations with Harry. So both letters from Charles and Megan said that the comment was made with no malice. They agreed that. And uh, from there, there's been... You know, the Telegraph has a lot of extra information and speculation. I wanted to know what you think, Rachel, because I feel like really what's happening here is that now a large number of people just know the identity of this person. And I think it will just come out in the in the next, whether it's months, whether it's years. Like, I do think that the public will end up knowing who that is. From my perspective, it just doesn't matter because the comment made was awful and should never have happened. And whoever said it is a senior royal. We know that much is true. And so it doesn't really matter. But I do think if Charles wrote a letter to Megan, it does kind of clear his name, which is interesting because is that why this letter is now coming to light before his coronation to clear his name? What are your thoughts? That was so long of a... No, no, it's interesting. I think my reaction to all of this was more centered on the fact that you got some intel on the peace talks that were taking place after the Oprah interview. That was what I latched onto was just that Charles reached out. No one else did. Megan and him went back and forth and that it sounds like an apology, even up to the minute we got details in this article ahead of the coronation, what has played out between Harry and Charles, but no one else. I think that's what I latched onto. I do think it is interesting. And I agree with you that I think knowing the identity of this person is kind of in the past at this point, but I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. And the coronation combos are interesting because I think what was revealed also is that when the Sussexes received the save the date via email, they didn't respond. And then Charles came to the phone, him and Harry had a productive conversation. Harry RSVP'd himself. Obviously we know Megan isn't coming. The kids aren't going, but Charles seems to really be somewhat of a peacemaker in all of this. Mm -hmm. Like if you just try to clear away the royal noise and get down to drill down to what's happened, he wrote a letter after Oprah. He did reach out to his son for the coronation RSVP. I think that really changes my perspective on some things right now because I think Charles has actually made an effort here. And he's come to the table. He's really come to the table. And so I, I actually really applaud that. And Harry's coming to the table as well. The one thing I wasn't certain of, though, has in those conversations, they were son to father, right? Megan wasn't a part of those. I think that's what it is. According and I think- to this article that was <laughs> leaked somehow. You know what I mean? It's like, where yeah. does this info all come from? The palace, probably. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And, it, and I think Megan, too, it was made clear that she didn't receive a letter back after her response, that she still feels like the handling of the bullying allegations was not you know, was never really resolved. And so there's a lot that still needs to be answered for, but it does feel like at least with Harry, Charles is letting the door open a little bit into reconciliation. And acknowledgement of yeah. 
the that issues that they've raised, which I think yeah. is what Harry ultimately wants most yeah. of all. And then we did get this Twitter statement from the Sussex camp via Omid Scobie on Twitter, which said the Duchess of Sussex is going about her life in the present, not thinking about correspondence from two years ago related to conversations from four years ago. Any suggestion otherwise is false and frankly ridiculous, and we encourage the tabloid media and other royal correspondents to stop this exhausting circus that they alone are creating. I do feel like there's been some controversy about her living in the present when they had the docuseries and the memoir, but a lot of that is Harry. A lot of what has been dredged up is from Harry's perspective, and I don't think it's fair to say that she's not living in the present when she's doing archetypes, when they're producing kids programming, when they're doing Invictus programming. The docuseries might have been filmed years and years ago, and so I, I, at least a year ago. So it's just, these things take so much time, too. I know. I think also, like, more and more, I just think her choice to not, to sit this one out, to prioritize Archie's birthday seems to be just great for mental health reasons. Yes. We have a couple of sightings. Kate at the baby bank in Windsor. William getting up at dawn. He looks sleepy, but very respectful for Anzac Day, which is a tribute to Australians and New Zealanders killed in war. Um, We saw them out and about. That was really exciting. I think with Kate's appearance, quick mention that I I loved that Reese blazer. And I've been seeing the khaki color popping up at our office in New York a lot. So now I'm feeling like I need to add that to my wardrobe. And also seeing her in flats. Loved the mom at work kind of angle. Just needed to be functional, somewhat fashionable, just, you know, doing the baby donations and handling that. I'm I'm a little upset that this appearance didn't happen like two days before because Bowdoin had a huge sale and I would have bought them. <laughs> yeah, right? I was like, oh, those flats. I saw them on the site. I but know. Bowdoin, have another sale. We need Have it. another sale. And yeah, and right. We saw it and then we saw William too. But I think the really big news that broke yesterday that I'm still processing, I'm sure you are too, is just this reveal via Harry's court documentation. This is, again, part of this hearing that he's having. There's It's a three-day hearing to determine whether his case against News of the World and The Sun goes to trial. And this is just one of three total cases that Harry is bringing um, in the wake of all these uh, privacy breaches. But the gist of this revelation, which was pretty major, I think it was 30-plus pages in this, but that there was a secret deal made between NGN and the royal family not to pursue legal action for phone hacking with an apology expected at a later date. And this deal, according to Harry, was made in 2012. The reason this is all surfacing and Harry has to go into this level of detail is because NGN's argument for this particular allegation and trial is that it's way too late for Harry to pursue this case with the phone hacking against News of the World and The Sun because the activity took place between 1994 and 2016. But this is interesting to me, too. The reason the royal family made this deal, supposedly, again, according to Harry, is that it all goes back to Tampon Gate, Roberta, PTSD from Tampon Gate, that the royal family didn't want to go through anything of that nature again. They didn't want to have to sit in a witness box, basically, and publicly recount details of these voicemails that have been intercepted for years and years just to win their lawsuit. And so this deal 
was reached because, again, in 1993, they had so much reputational damage from that particular experience. Understandable. Who would want to relive Tampon no. as a, as a, one of the parties in that conversation? Yeah, it's like to litigate, your personal lives are again laid bare. It was already in the headlines, and then you have to go through and clarify the particulars. It's I, I understand their their trauma from that. But this bargain that was raised that Harry wasn't totally aware of until a much later time, because I think according to him, they dubbed him too irresponsible to be aware of the details, was not honored by NGN. And so Queen Elizabeth gave Harry permission to follow up on the apology that he was owed and raise the prospect of involving lawyers in 2018, to which Charles and Clarence House and the bee. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, the bee uh, and the wasp and the ant? Yes. Uh, of that. Sir Edward Young. Ba- boy band. <laughs> shut it down. And so they were basically told that he needed, very, very clearly, Harry needed to drop any attempt at this. It would have an impact on all the family. Anything that might upset the apple cart was the quote, should be not you should stay away from that. And I'm, I think a lot of the illusion is within, within the rehabilitation of the now Queen Camilla. Anyways, all this is to say the big headlines, of course, were that Prince William on the flip side was paid a very large sum by the Sun to settle the phone hacking claims. And that was never reported. That went down in 2020. The details on that are super vague. Like it, no, there, you know, the Kensington Palace isn't commenting on it. There's not a lot from Harry in terms of specifics, but it does just seem like, What's interesting there is William worked it out in a very different way than Harry was allowed to. Yeah. I feel like for me, the red flag is that the future monarch, a.k.a. William, took a large sum, which I think the Telegraph reported to be somewhere around one million pounds, from a Rupert Murdoch-owned media corporation that the royal family has struggled with for so long and that that deal, that behind-the-scenes deal, was kept secret so that Harry – wouldn't pursue his own litigation against these papers that were conducting what seems to be allegedly such horrible wiretapping and all of these, you know, invest not criminal investigative tactics, I should say. Uh, That's where I'm just, I'm confused that that would be, that he would settle secretly. It just is, it seems all so shady to me. I don't know. I don't it's know. all very shady. I definitely agree with you. Like, and I don't understand. We need more information about we William did, settling. With we the need way Mail. more information because it does seem like it was a settlement, but why were there different terms between William and Harry when they were both impacted by the same thing? Why was Harry kept out of the loop? Why wouldn't they unite on that? I have more questions than answers. Yeah. I and also, why did the queen give him such explicit permission? It yes. sounds like the queen gave her consent to for Harry to email Robert Thompson, the CEO of News Corp, and Rebecca Brooks, the CEO of News UK, who we know from Harry's memoir, Spare, that he absolutely despises, but that the Queen even approved the wording of that email to reach out to them. But then this was all kind of scuppered by Clarence House. Yes. It's it's pretty, pretty fascinating and not the headlines you really want to read ahead of the coronation. I think my gut reaction to you was like, oh, no. <laughs> Charles does not want Tampon Gate in a headline ahead of next week. Like, that was probably one of his that's lowest, wor- lowest moments. Worst case scenario. Like, if he were game theorying out the coordination, yes. he would be like, I, I just do not want the Tampon Gate stuff surfaced. Like, there's Harry no mention Obama. of that. No yeah. mention. Uh, yes. And I, so I guess the bottom line is I'm just curious what's going to unfold further from this. Yeah, I'm so curious. We'll have to stay tuned. All right, now our lovely chat with filmmaker Tom Jennings. 
Roros, we're thrilled to welcome Tom Jennings back to the podcast. If you remember our last chat, you'll know he's the Emmy and Peabody award-winning filmmaker behind the documentary, Diana, in her own words, which used previously unheard interviews Diana gave for Andrew Morton's explosive biography, along with footage of the princess, and that 50 million people tuned in to see the doc. Tom's newest documentary for Nat Geo is fittingly called Charles in his own words. Again, he unearths a treasure trove of never-before-seen and rare archival footage, photos, and audio recordings to portray the life of the now King Charles III, the longest-serving heir apparent and the oldest British monarch to be crowned in just one week's time. Charles, in his own words, premieres this Friday, April 28th on Nat Geo, or starts streaming this Saturday on Hulu. Welcome back, Tom. We're so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I had such a great time last time. I'm glad that there's yet another monarch that we can be discussing <laughs> about in their own words. So, yes. Thank yes. you. No, we're so thrilled to have you. And Roberta and I are heading over next week, which is really <gasps> exciting. I know. Did you get tickets? <laughs> Not to the coronation, unfortunately, <laughs> but we will be in Our the... invites got lost in the mail, yes. as they say. <laughs> we'll be amongst all the royal fandom and we can't wait. It's going to be going on over there. You, you'll you have a great time, I'm sure. Yes. We can't wait. Well, let me kick us off with the first question. So this does feel like a natural progression from that Diana doc I mentioned, except with Diana, of course, you had those fascinating tapes that she recorded yes. for journalist Andrew Morton. So how did this project come together and how did you sleuth out these audio clips and interviews of Charles and all this footage? Well, it came together uh, because we had done Diana, as you know, and we also had done another one for National Geographic a couple of years ago called Being the Queen, which uh, also used the same kind of format, uh, no narrator, no interviews. That one was, uh, it wound up not being called Elizabeth in her own words, because as you well know, Elizabeth doesn't say a lot and doesn't get recorded a lot. When she passed, I mentioned to the network that, you know, we could probably put together something on uh, Charles uh, since he's now king, technically, and then the coronation was coming. And it took them a while to think about whether or not they wanted to do the In Their Own Words format. And they came back and said, uh, are you sure it's possible? That was the first question. And I said, well, as far as I know, there are no Andrew Morton tapes of Charles uh, that exist. <laughs> However, uh, knowing that he has been filmed, photographed and recorded since the day he was born and he has traveled the world, uh, I pretty much guaranteed them without having all the guarantees in place that yes, we could do a Charles in their own words. So it was, it was kind of mine to lose at that point. And they said, great, we know how you do these things, go off and do it. And then we had to prove that we could do it. And fortunately, I have a terrific staff of researchers and uh, really hammered home to them this time, especially the younger researchers that I have, that just because it's not on the internet doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm. So uh, a good example of that is we would go to lesser known archival sources, uh, a lot in the UK, a lot in New Zealand and Australia, where Charles traveled often and much of his life story took place. 
And when we go to those kind of archives, when a producer, documentary producer asks for material about, say, a particular event that Charles was at in Australia in the 90s, they'll usually have like their greatest hits tape. You know, they'll have their selects reel and and most people, because they're not doing a format like we do, where the archive itself tells the story, most producers are fine with that. But what happens is our kind of collective mind's eye starts to see these same images over and over and over again. And uh, viewers get bored. They feel like, I've seen this before. I, you know, click. And so the trick is, for, for them anyway, uh, the archival sources, is that we always say, what uh, do you have that's not been digitized? And sure enough, no one ever asks them that. Yeah. And uh, good for us. And they'll <laughs> say, well, you know, down the hall in that room with all the dust, uh, there's like 10 boxes of stuff that they haven't had time to digitize and they um, don't have the resources. So we will offer to pay for the digitizing of their material in exchange for first rights on it. And they're always thrilled because they get this footage digitized that would otherwise just be lost to time. And we did that over and over and over again. And it was remarkable what we found. And I'd say probably at least 40% of this film uh, are images, sounds, and uh, film and video footage that has not been broadcast before. Wow, that's incredible. That's and yes. such a, a good hack for finding those it's things that we hack. might not have online yet. So yeah. amazing. No, it really paid off. Yeah, it did. And I learned one more hack from the Diana show with Andrew mm-hmm. Morton. As you know, I knew his story. I knew he had those tapes. Uh, I knew he'd never release them. I knew he'd probably say no which he did at first. And mm-hmm. I, when I told him, you know, no narrator, no interviews, it's like Diana narrating her own film. His response was, no one's ever asked me to do it like that before. Yeah. So extrapolating that forward and doing Being the Queen and certainly now with Charles, we call book authors, people that have done books 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago about Charles and say, hey, you know, you interviewed all these interesting people, many of whom are not living anymore. Yeah. Did you happen to record your interviews? And almost to the last one, they did for their own reference. Wow. You know, they'll record an interview with someone they're sitting down for hours talking to. And even if what we use was it printed in a book, it's very different hearing it. And uh, the authors also almost to the one, they'll say, well, what do you want this for? And we explain how we do the programs. And they they always, they kind of smack themselves on that. It's like, I could make a podcast out of all, out of all these tapes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you could. But could we just license that one interview from you <laughs> yeah, right now? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's magic, you know, because then we get all kinds of voices that have never been broadcast because they were only used for an author's reference. Yeah, yeah. I was I was wondering that while watching, like, how would you track down the secretary to the queen at that that that's long, it. long time ago? That's fascinating. I'm that's so glad you brought that it. up. Yeah. yeah, it really we really felt transported watching it. And, and like you said, very so much new footage.
were curious, yeah. did you have a preconceived notion of Charles going into this, especially after Diana in her own words? Yes. I had uh, not no, much of a notion of him at all, to be honest. Really? So, okay. Uh, my preconceived notion was he was perhaps misunderstood. You know, I certainly, the stories of Diana, how he treated Diana, you know, it just like, eh, what do I know about Charles, you know, other than what the general public would know or uh, someone who uh, just kind of follows the news and sees that he's in the news for whatever reason. Uh, I did know from doing Diana that he could be kind of, uh, very charming in speeches, for example. He could be a little bit funny. Uh, but he also could be kind of cold and distant. Some people would characterize him as calculating. So uh, I just had like a general knowledge of Charles, even mm -hmm. after doing Diana, because even though it was their story, it was really those tapes and her telling the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, the deeper I got into this, the more fascinated I became with Charles. It's not to say that uh, uh, we didn't make this as a pro-Charles film or an anti-Charles film. We tried to be very journalistic and present parts of his life story that people are just not aware of or they have forgotten. And we tried to do it in a way that was entertaining. And we tried that the main goal was to say, look, there's a lot you might not know about him and his personality and how he's handled himself over the years. And we can show you all of that so that you, the viewer, can kind of look at all this material and create your own ideas about what kind of king he will be. And so that's what we did. And the, the other thing that we did that really kind of like launched us was the network wanted... And rightly so. They said, look, there's going to be a lot of stuff about Charles coming out. Um, we don't want this to be a biography. You know, he's born and, you know, we've done those. And, you know, they're pretty typical cookie cutter, we call them. You know, there's just like dime a dozen. And so they said, we need to make it current and contemporary. But yet you're telling stories from as long as 50 or 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... I'm like, yeah, well, and they're like, you're a clever guy, Tom. You can figure that out. How do you make it current? <laughs> and fortunately, I had a light bulb moment in our first discussion with the network. And I said, the story starts the day the queen dies. That's that felt very powerful watching, yeah. I will say. Yes. That's when it starts. And then we'll have these touchstone moments of the what I call the current timeline from the day the queen dies forward, as far forward as we could take it till now. And we'll use those scenes as a springboard back in time uh, that connect with the themes we want to explore. And uh, it worked. It did. It, it, did. <laughs> it did. And yeah. speaking of the beginning, I mean, you start out with like you said, the queen passing, but also a clip that a lot of people who are listening have probably seen, which is what we're dubbing Pengate, Charles's frustration with this leaky pen. Days after his mother's passing, he's in Belfast, he's signing a guest book. So why start the story there? There is a very good reason why to start the story there. <clears throat> and it may not be the reason most people would think of. 
in going through the themes and going through the footage and going through how the public understands him, it was immediately recognizable to us that his relationship with the press, he's, you know, like you see him later on when he's skiing and there's this 100 yards of cameras, you know, pointing at him. He's constantly under the microscope. And, you know, the leaky pen, people made fun of him. Uh, you know, I, I the British press was, he's unfit to be king, you know, because he loses it over a leaky pen. There were a couple of reasons why we chose that. Both serve the intent of the film. One is he uh, the pen leaks and he gets very upset and he's filmed doing it. So even something uh, as mundane as a leaky pen and his reaction to it becomes international news. It becomes Pengate, which is, <laughs> I, by the way, I like that very much. But the other reason we chose it was in the scheme of things, it's not like he was launching missiles, <laughs> you know? He put, how many of us have taken a pen <laughs> and put it in our pocket or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like, nah, I just bought this shirt, oh my God, you know, it, I mean, it, it happens to us. It happens to everyone. And yet when it happens to Charles, the whole world knows it's filmed, photographed, and amplified by a thousand. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we chose it, that, because it showed very clearly that anything he does in public or even not in public, if there's a camera around, um, the whole world knows about it within minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost says less about him and more about us and uh, also it does. our consumption of, of him. Well, but, hey, that, but I click on it too. I'm not yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. All of the TikToks. Uh, so you mentioned this and the doc does focus a lot on these life-defining moments for Charles and particularly that with those at the press. And there's this quote at the end of the documentary when he's presenting at the British Press Awards. Being here today is uh, rather like asking a pheasant to award uh, the prizes to the best shot. <laughs> Speaking, <laughs> speaking as a pheasant <laughs> with an H, you would be in wonderfully sporting shots. <laughs> because I've only got a few pellets in my backside, and you haven't yet brought me down. It kind of sums up his relationship with the media. How do you think he's approached the press throughout his life, and how is that different from other members of the royal family? One of my favorite stories of which I did not know was, uh, you know, if you call Pengate, Pengate, then there's Cherry Brandygate mm -hmm. very early on. I love that footage was, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he was 14 years old and he uh, was being hounded by press and the public that were staring at him through a hotel window, he retreats to the hotel bar and orders a Cherry Brandy. Uh, because because the bartender asked him, what do you want, kid? <laughs> <You know? laughs> As bartenders sure. do. As bartenders do. And he says the only thing that came to mind was cherry brandy, and it just blew up the next day. So, And he talks about around that time in the film, and I think we bring it up a few more times, that um, you know he's aware 
that this stuff is going on around him. And you just kind of like get used. He talks about it when we did the, the Prince in Search of a Queen, about how it affects the women that he's dating more than him because you just kind of get numb to it after a while. I think Pengate, uh, and uh, in some ways he he's probably gotten past caring, you know, unless he were to do something horrific in public. But I, I think he's careful. I think he understands that they're always watching. I mean, I love that one quote we found from him, uh, the the interview bite where he says, you know, they're, Whatever he does, wherever he goes, there's people with these long lenses shooting everything, sometimes through windows, and they do, as he says. And I just think he has accepted the fact that his life is lived, uh, it's like the Truman Show, Mm -hmm. you know, he's Mm -hmm. the Truman Show. I mean, there are a few others like that, but uh, at least for the next few weeks, Charles is living the Truman Show like no one else. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. You, uh, He must be resigned to it in some way, I would think, that everything I do, every sip of coffee I take, every leaky pen I have, everybody's going to jump on it. And I, I think after a while, you'd just be like, fine. <laughs> yeah. you know, in his case, in his case, but his in other... His, in his case, I, we're seeing... I, I would prefer that not to occur in my life, but, yeah. uh, but in we're his seeing case... The other members of the royal family not take that so easily, especially, you know, as we've had experienced this year with Harry and things like that. This is true, yes, but who among us can stand up to that? Although I did, I love that little uh, interview we found with Harry when he was in his teens talking about how his father tried to protect them, he and his brother, from the press and that Harry thought he was doing a good job. I don't know, you know, is it the, we get the media that we we want, I suppose, yeah. in some ways. Uh, you know, if we keep looking at it, they'll keep making it. So yeah. one one detail that stood out to me that was, was your inclusion via audio interview that Diana said at one point that she really did admire Charles. And then that follow up that it was actually said in the last six months of her life. What yes. compelled you to put that in? Well, I'd never heard it before. It was when, from one of the book authors. It was a member of parliament, I believe. And uh, we were showing the funeral, but we were showing it in context of Charles being a father. And um, I think, especially for Harry, you know, to look at the hurt in his eyes. Uh, and I may have mentioned before that I lost my mom when I was very young, younger than him. And uh, you just kind of disassociate. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine the whole world watching at the same time. Yeah. And we put it in there not to puff up Charles and being a great dad. We put it in there because even Diana admitted to a member of parliament that he's a good dad. You know, we were focusing on what kind of father he was back then. And we thought it was an appropriate place to put it in. Certainly no one's ever heard that before. So it was new information that she would admit something. Now, granted, it's hearsay, it's secondhand. Mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, it gave some context to what was going on. Absolutely. I I think he was a caring father. I, you know... uh, The footage we found from Scotland with them running around in that lake or 
lock, excuse me, you know, for Scotland. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, when he's wearing a kilt and they're wrestling on the ground. I mean, it's very sad to watch that and know what once was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's the thing that's funny with Charles is like, even after watching this, and this is something Roberta and I also bring up a lot on the podcast is there's conflict even in how you view him and walking away from watching this, you end up feeling just so much sympathy for him, especially like the Gordonston footage and the rugby scrum anecdote that just seeing him arrive at Gordonston with his dad and he's so young and just what he was kind of going through, but not really you know, he took it, right? So I think I'm curious what your take is on his resolve and ability to just get on with it too, after going through all this footage. Yeah, he, in my own mind, I haven't answered the question about where the resolve comes from. You know, maybe it's genetic, you know, it's handed down in the line, I don't know. Uh, Gordonson is a great example, I think. uh, And one reason we, uh, and, and that whole section is Charles the father, you know, and in order to understand Charles the father, you had to understand Charles the son. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth was obviously an absent mother, you know, being queen and all. So uh, not that she didn't love her children, but, you know, she was busy, not around a lot. But more to this point was Charles' relationship or a strained relationship with his own father, Prince Philip. And Philip... Uh, didn't think Charles was man enough like Philip was. You know, Philip was this manly guy in the Navy. And and so he sends him to Gordonston, a fairly strict boys boarding school, Mm -hmm. where, of course, you're young and you've got big ears and you're going to be the king of England. Uh, What do you think boys at an old boys a boarding school are going to do to you, which is exactly what they did. They bullied him mercilessly. They beat him up, you know, uh, they gave him a really hard time. He goes through that and Philip says, uh, he's still not the man I want him to be. So therefore we're going to turn up the, we're going to turn this up to 11, you know, we're going to turn up the jets. And he sends him to Australia to this place called Timbertop. And that one, we texted it in. Uh, we couldn't find audio of it where Philip says, I'm going to put some steel in him or I just give up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you're like 15 or 16. And that's the opinion your own father has of you. And then he goes down there and he survives that, thrives, comes out of it goes to Cambridge, and then I didn't know any of the investiture story from 1969. Mm -hmm. And he just walks into those riotous crowds and, uh, you know, he he goes to school there for a couple of months to learn Welsh and, and, you know, the history of the place. Then he tours it. I love that footage of him interviewing the farmer. And so I think whatever happened to him in Australia, and we made this point subtly a couple of times that Australia kind of like, gave him his medal to move on, whatever happened down there. And he even says that. It was an interesting piece of footage we found where he says, I was literally chucked into a pond and I had Mm -hmm. to sink or swim. And I chose to swim. Where he got that from, maybe it's just proving his father wrong. Maybe it's knowing that uh, not only am I not getting the backing of the people that are supposed to love and support me the most, but yet 
the entire country, if not the entire world, is watching everything that I do. And I better step up my game. Uh, you know, how many of us want to step up our game just by balancing our checkbook? You know, I better step up my game so I can prove myself worthy to be the king of England. Um, so whatever is inside of him and, and, you know, credit where credit's due, he then goes off and, uh, you know, I love that tour footage that he did when he's 19 of in Wales, where he uh, talks to those kids that are planting trees about the environment. That's where his whole environmentalism ideas started was from becoming Prince of Wales. And instead of being a layabout, as a lot of previous royals may have been in uh, prince roles like that he goes off and learns how to fly uh, navy helicopters mm -hmm. which is not an easy feat you know that was that solo when he can lands from his solo that was great footage i love that so he at least is proactive to some way but he's deeply flawed at the same time but so are we all yeah, no, you really, you really feel that. And I think totally on a separate note, I was curious, what is your take on Spare? Because I think watching the part about how some of Charles's advisors suggested he not reveal all on TV to Jonathan Dimbleby, I couldn't help but feel that was a bit foreboding or a nod to the present. It was, I mean, you know, that's part of, that was part of the search for the queen, but also kind of a prelude to, because Spare was coming soon thereafter. Mm -hmm. He did that, uh, if you recall, and I didn't know this either, in 93, uh, after he separated from Diana, his favorability rating in a Gallup poll was 4%. That's staggering, I mean, that statistic. Hearing get, it in the film. Who gets 4% in a Gallup poll? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, the pandemic probably gets higher numbers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they felt like he had to do something to staunch the bleeding. And uh, so I think he spoke directly to what he had done. You know, the Dimbleby thing wasn't, uh, you know, like a retrospective on his entire life. And it was about him and Diana. And it was about yeah. the final years of their marriage. So it was, it was geared to be very specific, but it had the effect that he didn't want to have. The fact that he had even had an affair was... Um, uh, you know, uh, enough to uh, continue to pillory him in the press and the public. I think Harry, in my, this is my personal opinion, yeah. um, you know, I think he's still, I think that anger and rage from the loss of his mother, you know, that doesn't just kind of learn to live with that and yeah. put it aside. And the fact that he had to go through it in such a public way, um, I think it's always been there. And in mm -hmm. uh, meeting Megan or whatever had over the course of the past few years, uh, he felt like it was time to say his piece. Yeah. Whether people think it's too much or, you know, you shouldn't have done it at all. I don't know. But um, I think a lot of that comes from the loss as a little boy of his mother. And he needed to excise those demons. And he just mm -hmm. decided to excise every demon he could think of. Yeah, and then however the chips fall, like with Charles, however you want to really, you don't know, you can't predict, but it feels right in the moment, and right. you don't know. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing I learned about him, in mm -hmm. kind of a general, about Charles, um, is that he plays a very, very long game. Mm -hmm. 
with everything that he does. He plays a really long game. And what I mean is, I didn't know he dated Camilla in 1970 when they were both single. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they, I'm sure you guys knew that, but I didn't know that. I thought he just had an affair with a married woman. And that they did what young people in love do. They had an intimate relationship that that disqualified her from marrying Charles and becoming queen. I mean, if that rule didn't rule, whatever it was back then, didn't exist in 1970, we wouldn't be having this kind We'd be having a very different Isn't conversation. There would have been no <laughs> Diana. <laughs> I mean, think about all. Yeah. But that was 53 years ago. And what did Charles want 53 years ago? He wanted to be in love and marry Camilla, become king, and have Camilla be the queen. And that's exactly what happened. And it took him 53 years. It's pretty impressive. I yeah. mean, he does that with a lot of things. And I think he's going to change the monarchy. But, you know, the slim down, I'm sure, I know you guys have talked about what it could be. I think he's going to change it in a way that, you know, he's now prohibited. He was prohibited before, but they let him get away with, like, speaking out on global warming and climate change. I think he's going to make the monarchy a 21st century institution, you know, make it more efficient. Uh, they'll keep the beef heaters in the Tower of London because, you know, it's good for the tourists. But, uh, you know, its role is going to change. And I think I wouldn't be surprised in five years from now when we're doing Harry or William in his own words and talking together that we're remarking about uh, Charles giving a speech on the floor of Parliament as king, talking about the need to handle uh, global warming. Fascinating. I think he's going to loosen those chains. And I also mm -hmm. think he sees himself now, you know, how odd that you have to wait for the dream job of your life for your mother to die first. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a very, that's kind of a mind bending thing when you mm -hmm. think about it. But Absolutely. I think he now, he sees himself, in my opinion, as like the hinge between mm -hmm. his mother and the past of this massive institution and William, something sleeker, something 21st century, something that speaks to people of all ages and uh, they can appreciate it. I think he sees himself as, you know, taking the baton and handing it off to William in, uh, several years from now. He, yeah, it's a, it's a, his life has been the long game. So it's no wonder that he's playing that at all times and, and all fronts. Uh, one last question we have for you, Tom. So you've said that there was 20 hours of film and now it's down to a 45 minute documentary. What got left on the cutting room floor oh that you wish God. the world could see? I know so much. <laughs> <laughs> we should start the timer. How now. much time do you yeah. have? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I love the comedy stuff we found with him. I loved that. That footage was amazing. I wanted more of that. <laughs> Who do, uh, me too. And we have more. Uh, um, and we Tom. Could, we 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 couldn't make it Charles the comedy show. Although we could make a Charles comedy show based on what he did. Those those skits were at Cambridge, for example, and uh, we couldn't get permission for this one thing. Uh, we found there's, so when he's, um, if you recall the helicopter, uh, instructor, uh, I forget his name right now, but that, they got along famously the guy who was cheering him on when he's coming in for the landing. Yeah. Charles got a film crew, uh, uh, when he was learning to fly, uh, 
to uh, to film himself. Uh, there was this comedy troupe, like a, a, a pre Monty Python called the Goons. I think it was called in uh, in the UK. It was kind of like almost a Marx Brothers kind of thing, if that makes sense. You know, it's like just wacky, slapsticky. You know, very very goofy. Not let's. Monty Python is sophisticated compared to what that show was. Got it. Uh, Charles did his own versions of that show. And we have this footage of him and the flight instructor, where the flight instructor is standing on the side of the helicopter and Charles is standing on the ground next to him. And he's putting on this really goofy, where the instructor saying, you weren't supposed to fly that way. And he, he's looking up at him. Yes, I was. You know, no, you weren't. You know, and they just do this like wow. minute long sketch of Charles kind of playing the fool, like he's kind of an idiot, and the flight instructor is trying to talk to him like he's a normal guy, and it just gets funnier and funnier and funnier, and you cannot believe you're watching it. Oh my and gosh. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but if it is, you should go look it up. We, uh, there were uh, certain clearance issues that we couldn't mm, get, um, yeah. uh, and that was kind of heartbreaking. But when that one went away, we found we had one of the Cambridge pieces, but then we found a bunch more. So we mm, went to yeah. other sources. It's like, never say never. You know, there's always <laughs> another way. And so we found more of the Cambridge stuff and it's equally as fun. It's not quite as funny because in the helicopter stuff, he's wearing the big helmet. <laughs> you know? Oh my and gosh, he's just we like have looking to Google up, this. And he looks like a little child. It's like, I flew the right way. <laughs> he's an actor at heart. Yeah, he is really an actor. Is. He is. He's he a is. really good actor. And yeah. I think you have to be to be King of England, but also... It must be in the many thousands of speeches he's had to give. Oh, gosh, it, you're right. You know. You're so right. Well, Tom, this has been wonderful to get to chat with you again. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. Charles, in his own words, airs this weekend on Hulu and next weekend on Disney+. Plus. Thank you so much, Tom, again for your Thanks, time. Thanks, Tom. Thank you both for having me. It's always a pleasure. Light Roberta to have him back. He is Always. really fun to chat with. Always. I, I'm going to actually rewatch the doc again because it's only 45 minutes. So it's not even, and it was so good. Okay. Highs and lows. You ready? I'm ready. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low is, is not a real low. I'm sorry, but why <laughs> didn't Megan and Harry kiss for the kiss cam? You guys, you had one job. The kiss cam was on you. You didn't kiss at the Lakers game. Of course, I love that they brought the Archwell team, that they stepped out. We haven't seen Megan in so long. She wore a gorgeous pink tailored blazer and short set from Stodd. I hope I'm saying that right. And linen to pink linen. And they were so coy. Like, you guys, come on. You kissed her in front of the cameras before. I feel like I have to just add to you with, I loved how much those images of them reminded me of the Invictus Games. Like, I felt like her expression, Mm. their kind of interaction really took me back to that original outing of their relationship. Yes, that's such a good call. All right, my low is just that the Beefeaters uniforms officially could not be recycled. And I'm 
basically saying that this is probably a deeper, deeper low for King Charles because of his efforts with sustainability. Sounds like they really tried, but the wear and tear of the uniforms meant that an attempt to repurpose could not be handled. This quote, it was too obvious that there had been a cut price haberdashery attempt. So <laughs> I just thought all of that sounded funny, but the old cost of living crisis doesn't look good. So are they getting new uniforms? Yeah, and they debuted. So they with the with Charles's oh, cipher. Yes. But it's not sustainable, I guess. It's, it's just an expense. It's a high yeah. expense for yeah. uh, something because they have like summer and, you know, for cool weather, for warm weather. But it looks good. The old cost of living. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. All right. My high is that Camilla's son, Tom Parker Bowles, went on the News Agents podcast, which is an incredible podcast with Emily Matlas. You remember her from Newsnight interview with Prince Andrew. She's an amazing journalist, the way she drills into people and gets the answers she wants. It's just something to be put on a pedestal. But I like that Tom Parker Bowles was really forthcoming all the information he gave her. And it's just so nice, Rachel, to hear from someone that's so close to the royal family, especially to Queen Camilla. It's her son. Emily pulled no punches. It was a really great interview. I encourage everyone to listen. Here's a quick clip. Does it feel weird for you to start Having thinking to of her as, yeah. as the queen? Not really, because she's still, you know, our mother. I say, ah, oh, speaking, not, not the royal we, speaking to my sister and me. <laughs> but she is, our, yeah, she's our mother and change happens. But I don't care what anyone says. This wasn't any sort of end game. She married the person she loved and this is what happened. Kind of a uh, refute to the spare narrative, but I liked the interview. I think, you know, some of the reveals were also what foods Camilla doesn't like. She doesn't like garlic. She doesn't like chili pepper. So he just didn't hold back in answering questions. And I think more of this, more that makes them human, that hum- like humanizes Charles and Camilla. Roberta, all I can think of when you say Tom Parker Bowles is our Zoom call with him. It was a group Zoom during the pandemic when he had a new cookbook out and the person that wasn't on mute. I will leave it at that. <laughs> Zoom 101. All right. My high is just all the birthday pics. We had a shot that was posted on Kate and William's account, family photo in honor of Queen Elizabeth's what would have been her 97th birthday with Kate the photographer. I love these pics. And I just think Charlotte is just beaming in the photo. She looks very blonde. It had to have been the summary shot. And I did also like their acknowledgement to specifically call out that some of the grandchildren and great-grandchildren were there because obviously Archie and Lily are not there and I miss yeah. their faces in that in that group shot. And then Louie with the wheelbarrow ride, just love it. And Kate did not take that photo, but her hair looks just wonderful and happy and Finn loves a good wheelbarrow ride too. And the birthday party reveals Louie's birthday party had a DJ slash entertainer, which Ooh. I just need. And it, I think it was zoo themed. So, oh my God, we've been on such Finn a would love. birthday party circuit. We went to one this past <laughs> weekend for for Finn's uh, group and the pr- entertainer had this two person team did blow up balloons, like inflatable balloons. They had a bunny. They then dressed as Olaf and Elsa oh my and they did face painting and there was something else. And it was like, how are two people managing all of those functions? Also, is that the dream job? Like that sounds really fun to just <laughs> I like I bet they be were paid well too. Entertainer. Yeah. If this royal stuff doesn't work out, Rachel. Yes. Just to- <laughs> our backup. Yeah, Bir- we, can party royals. Royals. we can dress as We can dress as princesses. Yeah, <laughs> just to Let remind of <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop. Go ahead. Before we close, uh, this reviews from Water Lies. They said, love your podcast and your enthusiasm about the coronation gets me pumped up. I wasn't very into it because I do not feel happy about Camilla. Anyway, what I really want to say is you should have booked both aisle seats. So oh, we can reach across the aisle? Wait, that's not a bad idea, Roberta. Wait, but why? Because then would we hold hands? Like, I'm confused. Well, we could have seen. Oh, actually, wait, can I add something that I did get this awesome note from Tina about this 
app that I'm forgetting and I will message you after about okay. how we can listen without the cords. Listen with Like oh. remember we said we were gonna watch content and we might be two seats apart? Oh. Yes, there's technology for that. So uh. Tina sent it to wow. me. I'll update everything. You guys are on it. This audience is on it. Um, this review ends with enjoy your trip to London. I'll be listening to everything you have in store for us. We are so excited to bring you on the ground coronation coverage live from London. It's royally next obsessed. <laughs> Till next week. God, God save, save the pod. The pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.